Welcome to Main Street Politics. I'm your host, Daniel Bonham. With us today, Elizabeth Steiner Hayward, Senator, Doctor, one of the tri chairs from the 2019 session and again in the 2021 session. Hey, walk me through that though. Like you came into the legislature in 2012. Yeah. Was this something that you always knew that you wanted someday I want to be involved with Ways and Means and I'd love to be a co-chair of Ways and Means? No, it's actually a really funny story. I came in, as you noted, at the very beginning of 2012 because I replaced, I filled a vacancy. Um, and I came in, I was installed three weeks before the start of the 2012 legislative session. And the night I was chosen by the county commissioners, the Senate president called me and said, hey, what committees do you want? And I said, uh, 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 I was super articulate. And I said, well, I'm a doctor, so healthcare makes some sense. And I really care a lot about education and revenue. He's like, revenue, nobody wants to be on revenue. And I said, well, if you want to run programs that are important, then you have to have the money to do it. And he said, oh. So then he does what he always does every year. And he calls me up a week later or so and says, you're not going to be happy with your committees. I'm like, I don't know enough to not be happy or happy. I just serve at the pleasure of the Senate president. And he says, well, I got you on education because Suzanne, my, my, that was my predecessor, was on education. And um, you're going to be on a couple of budget subcommittees. I said, OK. And so I ended up on the general government budget subcommittee and the human services subcommittee. And I learned later, actually, it was funny that two of my colleagues in the caucus, neither of whom was actually still in the legislature, had been on those subcommittees, hated it because generally speaking, people are budget people or not budget people and had gone to the Senate president and said to him, hey, we want off before the 2020 session, between the 2012 session and give it to the new girl because she can't complain. So that's how I ended up on them. But then I was super excited about it because I realized that just like it is for our families, budgets reflect values and our priorities. So I felt really strongly that if I had the opportunity to sit on budget committees and influence how we spent your and my tax dollars to try to maximize the benefit for every Oregonian, then that was a good thing. And so I ended up chairing general government subcommittee for a couple of, for four years and then human services for two years. And now I'm in my third year as co-chair of Full Ways and Means. So, so we can add general not government. What I expect. Sorry, what? We can add general government to the things we have in common. So yes. you and I both have daughters that have had tonsillectomies. Yes. We both played little league baseball. Mm -hmm. We are both appointees to the legislature. Mm -hmm. We are both Henry Toll fellows. This is also true. And we both served on general government ways and means sub. Absolutely true. Lots more similarities and differences, Daniel, don't you think? They're near twins. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up on the East Coast. I did. Massachusetts. Don't hold it against me. Don't hold it against me. No, not at all. And then you went to school in Chicago. I did. So what, how did you find OHSU? How did you find Oregon? Uh, so I went to undergrad in Chicago, and then I went back to Massachusetts, and I worked for a couple of years, and I went to medical school in Massachusetts. And when I was in medical school, I knew very early on that I wanted to do family medicine because I am a true generalist by nature. I'm interested in almost everything. And I really like continuity relationships. Anyway, in the summer that was the start of my third year of medical school, the family medicine department said, hey, 
there's this big national conference for medical students and residents that the Academy of Family Physicians runs. Do you want to go? We'll pay for it. And I'm like, yeah, heck, I'll go. Even if it's Kansas City in August, which is where that conference is. Um, and the number of years I spent in Kansas City in August would just blow your mind. Um, and so I went, and one of the features of that conference is a residency fair. So people from the residency programs around the country, not every single one, but a lot of them, go there and they try to attract medical students. So I ended up having a long conversation with the people from OHSU who were there. I did a, an away rotation, I did a sub-internship at OHSU in family medicine, and I really was impressed, and I really liked Portland. And I was really intrigued by the Oregon Health Plan that was just on the verge of becoming a reality because this was the fall of 1990 when I did that. And I loved it. So I ranked this program, OHSU first, and they apparently ranked me pretty highly also because this is where I matched because it's a match system in medicine. And I came out here thinking, eh, job for three years, live in a different part of the country. I had job offers waiting for me in Massachusetts. And in June, it'll be 30 years that I've been here. So OHSU had pretty much everything I wanted in a residency program. So from there though, how did you find the legislature? So you come to Oregon, you get involved. I, I mean, I, I imagine you got appointed to different committees uh, or at least, you know, hey, Dr. Steiner Hayward, can you give us your perspective on this? And one thing led to another, am I? On the right track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're on, definitely on the right track. Um, you know how these things go. Um, yeah, so I started, I was on the board of the Oregon Academy of Family Physicians starting in 1999. And do you remember in 2002, there was a ballot measure, measure 26, that was a universal healthcare ballot measure? Do you remember this? I don't. No, there was. And in principle, it was a good idea. In actual, the way it was structured, it was a terrible idea um, because it didn't focus on what Oregon did really well, which is evidence-based medicine. And it didn't have any way of specifically saying how they were gonna pay for it. And there was a lot of hand-waving going on. And after the ballot, had the measure had already qualified, they came to the OAFP people and said, hey, would you guys endorse this? And we said, no. And they said, evil doctors, you're always looking out for yourselves. You don't care about patients. And we said, no, not so much. We explained why we couldn't and they were grumpy, but they went away. In November of that year, that ballot measure went down in flames on a Tuesday. And on a Friday, the OAFP had a board meeting and the person who'd been running external legislative affairs for the OAFP, which was sort of symbolic at that point, was leaving to go onto the national AAFP board and said, I want Elizabeth to take over. And I said, I'll do it on one condition, which is that the OAFP has to stop being an organization that just has continuing medical education as its mission. It has to become an advocacy organization because those healthcare people came to us, those ballot measure people came to us so late because we're not a voice. We're not seen as a voice for medicine. We're not seen more importantly as a voice for our patients, which is really what we are. We should be a voice for our patients. It's the OMA that's carrying all the water for medicine in this state and they don't necessarily represent primary care. So we had a long debate and they said, oh, you're right. And so I started doing this and spending a lot of time in Salem, ended up on a bunch of work groups. People started talking about running and for a long time, it wasn't really an option because 
my representative was Mitch Greenlick and he wasn't going anywhere. Um, and I didn't want him to. Um, I still miss him, man. I really do. It's really hard yeah. for me. Um, he and I were good friends for a long time before he was in the legislature. We were both OHSU faculty and he was a really good man. Um, didn't always agree with him, but I, I got to know him. Mitch and Harriet at the Comfort Suites. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Wisnets had set me up and said, hey, when you're coming for the short session, do you have a place to stay? I said, no. They said, come stay with us. And so, you know, there are a bunch of us that kind of took over the third floor there. And I would go down every night and I would you know, jog on the treadmill or jump in the pool for a swim. And every night, Mitch and Harriet would be down doing their uh, water aerobics and then end up in the hot tub. That's great. And I don't know about you, but you know, some people can be intimidating, and especially when they've been around for a while and they've got you know a chairmanship or you know maybe they're yeah. co-chair of ways and means. But you know, you you kind of approach people and, and try and figure out where they're coming from. And oh my gosh, they couldn't have been more friendly. Yeah. And the conversations we had, and of course we don't agree on everything, but but we had such civil conversations. And then of course you get beyond the building. Uh, we always inevitably as legislators seem to come back to the building as we have conversations and we get to know each other personally that you can yep. have friendship, but it always seems to lead back to policy discussions. But we, we had the nice balance of kind of back and forth and it yeah. became a, a kind of a wonderful part of my first short session was getting to know the green. Yeah, they're just, Harry, they're, they're just lovely, lovely, honorable, decent human beings who were in public service for the right reasons. Um, I didn't always agree with Mitch either, um, but I loved him to death. And in fact, it's kind of funny. I moved down into the Pearl District uh, last year and I can, Harriet and I can actually wave at each other from our little balconies. We can see each other. We're just a few blocks apart now, which was nice for those months that I wasn't living too far from them. So anyway. Um, so then Senator Bonamici decided to run for Congress. Yeah, so then it was July of 11 and I was at an OMA legislative committee meeting and we were debriefing from the session that had just finished and somebody's like, so when are you gonna run? And I said, well, Bonamici's only been in the Senate two years and Greenlick's not going anywhere. And two weeks later, David Wu, who was our Congressman said he was gonna resign, which was a good thing. Um, and then a week after that, Suzanne Bonamici and I, are, who are good friends, we're talking about whether she's going to run for Congress in the end. She said, you know, if I run and I win, you should run for my seat. And so I kind of figured God was telling me something. If that many people had told me in the space of three weeks and all of a sudden this vacancy was going to be there when I didn't think there was going to be one. So I did a lot of work and um, not to be immodest, but I did something that never been done in Oregon history. I uh, beat out a sitting state representative in front of the county commissioners. And I've been in ever since. So that's I, cool. I, it's, um, this may be a little too corny, uh, and you can decide whether you want to keep it in or not. But um, <laughs> I'm a firm believer, you know, like people ask, well, what's the meaning of life, right? And I'm a firm believer that the meaning of life is you figure out what skills, what talents God has given you, and then you figure out how to use them to serve other people, right? I mean, that's been kind of my guiding principle for as long as I can remember. Right? I think that's awesome. Yeah. And thank you. Um, and I don't mean it to sound like humble braggy, right? Like that's not, it's just, you know, and I think that's what I was doing by being a physician and I'm still a physician and I still practice them. But it became clear that 
I could help one patient at a time in the exam room, or I could help thousands, if not millions of people at once by serving in the legislature and bringing a different perspective. And I've been blessed to be able to do that and to be able to use these skills to do something I think is really important, which is make a state that I love, make the people who live in the state that I love maybe have slightly better lives. Be yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. So it does make me curious though, you know, and many of us, I think uh, most of us have other gigs, right? I mean, we, we are not just legislators. We have another career and uh, have to balance those. You are still a practicing physician, are you not? Yeah, I just do urgent care now mostly um, so I can kind of come and go um, and then Normally in the interim, I practice a lot. Last year I didn't because of COVID. I was pretty busy with budget stuff and um, it just didn't really work because my schedule was so erratic and I couldn't really, they couldn't, I didn't want them to count on me and then might not be able to be there because I had to do budget work, which I was doing a lot of. So you, you weren't always a co-chair of Ways and Means. Nope. Can you walk me through, I, I am genuinely curious, the time commitment that it takes uh, to take on that role and responsibility? Because I, I know like we all do different things. We all have different committee okay. assignments. You know, I've chosen to be involved with leadership and, and you, we all take on kind of different yep. roles and responsibilities, but to take on that task, it, it seems to me like that would be second only to a presiding officer in terms of time commitment necessary to do that effectively. It's pretty big. And as an aside, I'm deputy majority leader also. Um, so that gives me a little bit of a mischief. But uh, in 2017, I had 18 and a half hours a week of committee, right? With the various subcommittees and policy committees and full ways and means that I was on. In 2019, I had four and a half hours a week of committee and some of those didn't even meet all the time. And the rest of the time that I was in committee, I was spending in legislative fiscal with, I mean, I closeted up in a little room down by those two hearing rooms over on the house side um, with senior people from legislative fiscal and various analysts rotating in and out and Dan Rayfield and Betsy Johnson, who are the other two tri-chairs and sometimes agency people and whatever. And so, you know, 12, 15 hours a week in that little room working on budgets and then meetings uh, outside of that with people who wanna plead for certain things to be funded, um, whether it's within an agency budget or a bill or a capital construction request, a bonding request. And then there's prep work like we all have, right? There's nighttime prep work. There's reading over ginormous spreadsheets and budget reports and things like that. And I don't really know what it's like to serve as co-chair in a normal time because, you know, we had the short interim between the long session in 19, the short session in 20. I was sort of processing a lot of stuff and trying to catch up on a few things. And then 20 came and that session fell apart at the seams. And then we had COVID. And so I'm not sure I can tell you what it's normally like in the interim. I can say that I can't really imagine not working hard on this all the time. 
because it's a huge responsibility and it's not something where you should or could phone it in. So, but that's not my nature anyway. What do you think the average person that would be sitting at home, you know, average Oregonian would be fascinated to know about the budget process in Oregon? What do you think they'd be surprised by? I think they may, might be surprised by how many kinds of money there are. Um, and when I say that, I mean, there are what are called general fund revenues, which are the tax dollars you and I, mostly the tax dollars that you and I and corporations pay in. There's lottery fund revenues, right? Money people spend playing the lottery. There are what are called other funds. So like I'm a physician and I pay a licensing fee every two years. And so the Oregon Medical Board is run entirely off of other funds. But there's lots of different colors of other funds. Um, and then there are federal funds. So a lot of agencies have federal funding streams for one reason or another. And sometimes, and most of the time, those come with very tight strings attached. Then there are agencies that most of their budget come from what are called assessments. There's this thing called the Department of Administrative Services or DAS, which is sort of the administrative backbone of state government. And almost all of their funding comes from assessing other agencies on a per FTE basis. So figuring out all the different kinds of money is really interesting and in how they interact with each other and how you use, for example, in Medicaid, right? We, um, we invest a certain amount and the feds match it with a certain percentage. So figuring out how do we get to the total we need and how much that means the state needs to put in is really interesting stuff. I think the Medicaid funding alone would shock most people. Oh, Medicaid funding would blow your mind. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And it's so complicated. You think that there's like Medicaid and it's a monolithic thing. No, there's like eight kinds of Medicaid also because the feds like to make everything so simple for us. So if you, and I was talking to uh, Representative Rayfield before uh, we got on this podcast. I, we're having him come talk to our caucus on Thursday. We do a coffee with the caucus. And so we're having our co-chair from Ways and Means come and, and visit. And most of it's to get our new members up to speed. But for those of us who haven't been to that long, I'm in, you know, I think three and a half years at this point, you know, it's a good refresher to, to make sure that we're paying attention to everything that could be happening. You guys had sent out that, that uh, couple page framework document and and of course you know compared to what it was in 2019 we recognize that the framework today is is a little more ambiguous because of the uncertain financial times that we're in but still we're going to have that conversation so i asked uh, rep rayfield i said you know i'm going to have dr senator elizabeth steiner hayward on today and uh, is there anything that you guys you know maybe behind the scenes something that, that i could ask her that would be you know kind of a co-chair question and he said, I'd, I'd be curious as a listener, avid listener of Main Street politics with Representative Daniel Bonham, it, I would be curious if, if you know, you could ask Senator Steiner Hayward if there's been a difficult moment, like what was a vote or a budget consideration that was just absolutely difficult and, and how did she handle that? He also did say, she may not want to answer this, but uh, he said, I'd just be curious to know. He said, because I can think of a few really stressful moments that we've had. Yeah, um, Dan and I have actually now worked together for 
this is our fifth year, right? Because we were co-chairs of the Human Services Subcommittee together in 17 and 18, and now we've been co-chairs of full together for the past two years, and now we're in our third year of that. Um, so he and I have been through a lot together, and in human services, there are a lot of really painful decisions. I think, and this is going to sound like a cop-out, I don't mean it that way. I think each of us has to be really explicit with ourselves about what our guiding principles are as we do this work. And anytime I'm faced with a really tough decision, I try to think about it in a couple of different ways. The first is what does my conscience tell me is the right thing to do, right? Because that's always got to be first. And then what do my constituents think is the right thing to do? And finally, what does my caucus think? But that's kind of low on my priority list. Um, don't let them hear me say that, but they know it anyway. Um, and <laughs> no, you don't have to cut it actually. They, Rob Wagner's my majority leader, knows that I say that and he doesn't mind. But then the other thing is that I, as a budget person, I try to think about what's the best use of every single dollar, right? And how do we squeeze the maximum impact out of every single dollar? And part of that is determining, are we actually getting the effect from the program that we should be getting? And if not, what can we do to change it? Or should we discontinue funding this, right? Oregon has a long tradition of deciding fewer, that fewer services for more people is better than more services for fewer people. And it's proven to be pretty successful guiding principle when we think about budget. And so I think about that a lot. You don't wanna spread the peanut butter too thin, but you do want to think about maximizing the benefit for as many Oregonians as possible. But that really does bring you back full circle to the conversation of the different types of money. Right. And, you know, some are more fungible than others and, right. and some are very specific. And so I, uh, I will say this too. I, I had a conversation with the speaker this year when she was asking me about my committee assignments and I was serving on the general government ways and means sub and I expressed my frustration with the budget process because so much is a foregone conclusion, uh, current service level, things that we've already put in statute, things that yep. we've put parameters on ourselves. And I felt, at least from my perspective as a member of the minority party in that process, that even though, interestingly, on the general government ways and means sub, we had three House Republicans and only two House Democrats and actually sat 50-50 on that particular committee. But because of all the other considerations that come before Ways and Means and, and the Legislative Fiscal Office and all the parameters that they're under to, to produce and, and put forward the budget, all those constraints led me to feel like it was more of a rubber stamp, at least in that specific committee, that there was very little policy right. to budget consideration. And so I said, you know, unless unless I could sit on full ways and means, you know, I probably didn't need to continue on with my experience on general government and maybe give somebody else an opportunity to learn the budget process. Cause I really did value the experience of serving on the committee. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, I thought my time might be better spent uh, fighting uh, redistricting or, or something else. So I really hear you loud and clear. And I would say a couple things about that. One is about general government in particular, and one is about the overall budget process. With regard to general government, one of the problems you face in that in that subcommittee is that a lot of the budgets you consider are for 
other constitutional officers, right? The Secretary of State's office, the, the uh, treasurer, things like that, right? And so we sort of approve their budgets, but a lot of times it's really other people's money and we don't actually have as much say because it's not really an executive branch agency, right? So that's the interest, one of the interesting problems in there. The other thing is, Dan and Betsy and I actually agree with you that there are too many things that are foregone conclusions that are, that are sort of like baked in to this. And we had, you know, the co-chairs of Full Ways and Means serve as chairs of the audits committee of Ways and Means, right? And we've been really working on beefing that up for the past three years. Secretary of State does audits also, but we've been very interested in beefing up the audits function of the legislature. And a lot of states have really robust legislative audit functions, right? And one of the things we did in 2019 was we actually added some positions in legislative fiscal to do more audits because we wanted to be sure that we really were getting the most bang for a buck and to do an experiment of not quite zero-based budgeting because we didn't want to get down to paper clips and pencils, but to really go in and look hard at a small medium agency to start to wrap our heads around how would we go in and look really hard at every single thing an agency does. And we had an agency picked out and we were all ready to go and boom, there's a pandemic, right? So we actually agree with you. And we think that there should be much more robust analysis of agency budgets and everything that they're doing and how they're spending their money and how many people they really need to have doing all of that. It's gonna take us a while to get that really up and running, but you don't get disagreement from us about that issue. So I have one more question from a longtime listener fan of the show uh, to remain nameless. Who's your favorite co-chair? <laughs> I refuse to have played the fifth on that one, man. I will not answer that. I am uh, shocked. I thought that that one, <laughs> the, the questioner and myself, I thought that would just roll off your tongue. I thought you'd have an amazing. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. I would say this, and this is going to, once again, sound corny. I love working with Dan and Betsy, right? And what I think is super cool is, first of all, everybody thought it was weird when the Senate president appointed Betsy Johnson and me. Normally, it's only one Senate co-chair and one House co-chair. I think it's been great. We have complementary strengths. Um, we come from very different backgrounds. I think we inform each other. We've developed a very strong friendship, right? We don't always agree with each other by any means. And Rayfield has really significant skills and he's just a funny guy and I like him and we've worked together now for many years and work very comfortably together. And I think the three of us each bring something different and as a result, we end up with a much stronger process, much more thoughtful questions that we ask of agencies and of our analysts and of our subcommittee chairs. So I think I'm really fortunate to work with Dan. Yeah, I know Senator Johnson, when, when we had her on the podcast last year, talked about that, the, the overlapping strengths uh, from the, the experience that you both had on the different ways and means subs too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this, yeah. You know, no, I think between us, we've been on every sub except education. So, right. yep. and we both chair general gov 
I'm a human services and public safety person. She's a transportation, economic development, natural resources person. It's been really good in that regard. We've, I think we've both learned a lot from each other. So I've got, I've got a little bit of fun I'd like to throw your way. We're going to sure. call this the lightning round. Okay. So we need these to come fast yep. and furious, okay? You got it. You've been a world traveler. Best destination you've ever visited? Israel. Favorite person you've ever met? Impossible to answer for a generalist. Oh my gosh. This is the lightning round. I can't answer it, Daniel. Okay, okay, we're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep going. Favorite legislation you've ever passed or helped pass? Tied between Tobacco 21 and universally offered home visiting. Favorite class in high school? Biology. Best position to play in Little League? I played first base, which was weird as a lefty, but shortstop. False. Second base. Uh, dogs <laughs> or cats? Say it again. Dogs or cats? Cats. Cats. Okay, now I've got one more question. And this one, I, I the lightning round is going to have to go on pause because I get a little bit of setup for this one. So there was an incident in the Capitol where one of the staffers was out moving around the Capitol, twisted their ankle. Mm. And my intern was there and called for help. And Dr. Steiner Hayward was there, ready to assist and provide some aid. And your professionalism took over and you went into doctor mode. And my intern thought that this was a moment for levity, that we needed to provide a brief uh, giggle and laugh for the patient who had twisted her ankle. And so he asked you, he said, and I think he called you Dr. Senator, that's why it's stuck in my, he said, Dr. Senator Steiner Hayward, are dentists real doctors? And you looked at him deadpan and said, can you please give us some space? <laughs> but since that day, my intern, Tristan Bailey, has asked me, he's like, can you please get me an answer? Like, can you text uh, Senator Steiner Hayward and see if I, I just I want to know. And so for New Year's this year, I promised him in 2021, I would get him an answer. Are dentists real doctors? Yes, of course they are. Of but it's are. fun to tease uh, Representative Hayden that maybe they're not. Uh, it's fun to joke with him about it, yes. especially since he's like a surgeon and, you know, really does some serious work. But yeah. uh, no, dentists are absolutely doctors. Tristan can rest easy now. Tristan can indeed rest easy, and you can tell him that I apologize if I was rude to him. And I <laughs> no, 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 you were not rude. You were the one that was appropriate at the time, and he was being completely silly. Uh, but uh, that is who he is. He's a wonderful. He's back in the Capitol this year, oh, so good. I'll have to have him stop by once we do finally get back to in person. At some point, I think it will happen this session, and uh, he's on the Senate side, uh, so he'll he'll. Oh. You know what else we have in common? Yeah. Your daughter works for you, right? Or has. Yeah. My daughter's working. No, it's it's the best ever. It's awesome. My daughter knows people back home. So when emails come through, you know, she's a little more capable than anybody else might be on staff to know who is who and who I have connection with and, and who are my constituents. She, she's got a better feel for that. She knows me on a very personal level to know when I might need yeah. a break or need to go for a walk. And uh, I never realized, you know, I, I don't, this, this may seem silly, but I, I'm not a very touchy feely person. I, I don't 
feel like I need human contact. But every once in a while in that capital, my daughter will give me a hug. And I'm amazed at just how grounding that can be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I would never have imagined having one of my kids work for me. But one of the upsides of the pandemic has been that my daughter, who is now almost four years out of college, my middle one, um, moved back from Chicago. And last summer, when we needed to bring on half-time staff, because we were swamped with budget and unemployment claims, speaking of constituent work, yeah. Um, yeah. and we brought her on. And she and Ellie, my chief staff, get along so well. And it's just super fun working together. Um, we don't get to, I'm just sad for her that she didn't get to be in the Capitol, or at least not yet, because that's really fun for legislative staff, I think. And hopefully maybe by the end of session, we'll be back down there a little bit more, but it's great for me. And she only lives three blocks from me. So we see each other a lot. It's awesome. No, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. Yeah. Well, I, again, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will be back at some point and I, I believe we will be, you know, it's, it's nice to see the numbers of infections plummeting uh, report today, I, and I honestly can't remember when the last death was in Oregon tied to COVID, which is a good thing to not know when the last one was because it's been a little while, uh, which is great. And uh, especially when the hits just keep on coming, the folks that are uh, dealing with this ice storm, and and we had and we probably got the foot of snow that they said we were going to get here in the Dalles. Uh, we had a measuring stick on the back porch, and it, it got up to nine inches. And now today it was over 45 degrees and it's all melting. So now yeah. I'm a little nervous about flooding. Yep. And so uh, we, got our, on, here. we got our problem. eye on getting people's power back up and running. And uh, yep. hopefully hopefully the water has a place to go other than uh, beyond the riverbanks. I know. I think we're all a little bit worried about that, especially because we had had enough rain, at least in the metro area, that the grounds was pretty squishy already. And now this fast melting. But I haven't seen a snowstorm here like this for a while. It's been several years. You weren't in at the beginning of the 17 session where you came in before 18. Um, yeah, in 2016 legislative days it, in December, it snowed like crazy and we had to let out early. And then the beginning, the opening days in January for the 17 session on the third day, it snowed like crazy. It took me, normally it takes me 55 minutes to get to Salem from my place. And it took me four hours. The snow was that bad and it was just crazy. I mean, I could drive in it cause I have a Subaru and I know how to drive in the snow, but a lot of people can't. And that was pretty bad. I remember that storm because I drove from the Dalles to my parents' house in Newburgh. Ah, and I yes. remember getting through Sherwood and the absolute ruts that were frozen into the road. It was the craziest drive I think I've ever made. So it was awful. It was really bad. And yeah, this one stuck around for a while. I was really surprised. So we like to wrap these up with the question of, was there anything I didn't ask you that I should have? Yeah. If you ask me, one of the things I'm most proud of for being a legislator is that virtually every significant bill I've put forward has been co-chief sponsored by a Republican. And that's really important to me. Doesn't, isn't, doesn't happen to be true this year, but I'm only running two bills. Um, and we nobody really got a lot of sign-ons. And I think there are some that, uh, I think people will sign on to my bills, but 
if I can't get to a place where I can have a Republican co-chief sponsor with me, then my legislation is too extreme. Um, but I really do. You and I have worked together a lot. I've worked with Dwayne Stark a lot. I've worked with Fred Drott. I've worked with Bill Hansel a lot. I, there are a lot of people I've worked very closely with and I learn so much and I really value getting multiple perspectives on stuff. And I, I, I think that's really important for people to, to know about me and about, you know, people, the, the, the overarching pictures of us being really pretty nasty and estranged from each other. And I think our parties maybe sometimes, but I think us as individuals, we often work hard to find common ground in ways that we can move forward policy that's gonna help as many people as possible. Well, and that is a good segue and an opportunity for me to say thank you for joining the License Compact Bill. I oh, think my pleasure. that's gonna help kickstart a conversation that may not have otherwise taken place. So we appreciate you lending I your think, support to a concept that at least warrants merit and consideration. Yeah, I'm not sure that we're ready to move forward with the compact there, but I, the, tele, the telemedicine pieces of that are really important. And um, I agree that we need to have more conversations about licensure compacts. They've worked in other professions um, and eventually we can probably get to a place where they can work in nursing and medicine. Of course, my colleagues in medicine aren't best pleased with me at the moment, but I said, look, we've got to have these conversations and can't, can't be shutting down conversation. That's not how we improve our state. So to transition now from you know, sunshine and roses and holding hands in cooperation to something a little more controversial. On the 7th of February, you liked a tweet from Reese Witherspoon, where she says, today, I walked to my kitchen and had leftover pizza for breakfast. Follow me for more health tips. I'd like to understand as a medical doctor, how you could oh my God, Daniel. sincerely you know, retweet that and, and not have concerns about people eating pizza for breakfast. What kind of pizza was this? I mean, we don't even know all the facts here. We do not know all the facts, but I will tell you that despite my very staid upbringing, pizza for breakfast was considered completely appropriate in my family. And I have always believed that assigning certain kinds of food arbitrarily to certain meals is making people succumb to the constraints of convention, conventional, convention, being conventional. How do you say that? Um, and I'm not about that. I do oh. have breakfast for dinner sometimes. So I guess you're oh, right. Too. Maybe I shouldn't be so judgy. With I mean, scrambled eggs and scrambled eggs and toast for dinner is definitely on my agenda as a single person sometimes, right? <laughs> I love it. I, uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us. We, uh, again, are trying to use this podcast to give people a little bit of an insight into what happens in the Capitol, what goes on behind the scenes. And I think a consistent theme that I just have wanted to push out to the general public is we are you. You know, earlier I used the phrase average Oregonian. I'm an average Oregonian. Like I am, you know, your typical nine to five employee that happened to find this opportunity and, and throw my hat in the ring and engage in a process and anybody else could do it. And so I think for, for those that, you know, are maybe unaware of who all serves to hear that there's a medical doctor that 
can engage in this process and and be effective and in fairness rise up to one of the most prestigious positions you can have. Uh, I, I really, do, you know, outside of being a presiding officer, I don't know anybody that spends quite as much time as the co-chairs do in this process. So I'm not going to disagree with you about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the invitation, and I think your mission of trying to get help people understand what looks kind of opaque sometimes. And I think the one thing I would add to that is there is a voice. Every Oregonian can and should have a voice in the legislative process whether that's shooting us an email or calling in about something or testifying or sending in written testimony on a bill that's important to you. But there are ample opportunities and it is not scary. Um, we like citizen legislators. Um, the most fun bill I ever passed was uh, the Beagle Bill last year in 2019. And that was brought to me by fifth graders from my district, right? So Oregonians have all sorts of cool ideas and we count on them to come to us with those ideas and help make them into laws that help people have better lives or beagles have better lives. I do, I do find that fascinating when uh, other constituents say, where did you even come up with this idea? And you say, it's from a constituent. Yeah. Someone else yeah. had this concern and, and we looked into it and found that this was a problem and that the only way to solve it was to change statute. So we're yep. working on it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what we should be doing as legislators. You know, ultimately, we should be taking our experiences as everyday Oregonians and thinking about what would make our lives better, not in a selfish way, but like what would make the life of everyday Oregonians better. And whether it's an idea that comes up in a conversation with another legislator or an idea that comes from a policy education thing that we've gone to, like a, the National Conference of State Legislatures or a CSG, Council of State Governments that you and I have both been involved in. We get ideas in lots of different ways. And sometimes it's directly from a constituent, but all of our ideas, all of our policy bills should really be about what's gonna make the life of the lives of other everyday Oregonians better. Wonderfully said. Elizabeth Steiner Hayward, Senator, Doctor, co-chair of Ways and Means. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, being part of Main Street Politics. Thank you so much. And thank you, the listeners, for coming back by again. Main Street Politics, remember, if you need to get a hold of us, here in the office, 503-986-1459, or our district office is 541-719-8745.